Please stand. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, and please grab your Bibles. Um, we're going to be on page 984 in the ESV, study, uh, ESV Bible. If you don't want to have one, there should be a black one around you in one of those chairs. We'll be on page 984. And again, we're just covering two verses. But I'm going to actually start in verse 17 of Colossians chapter 3. It says this, Paul writing to the Colossian church, And whatever you do, Whatever you do, in word or deed, you do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, whatever you do, wives, this is what you do. Submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Husbands, this is what you do. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, this is what you do to the Lord. Obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, this is what you do. And parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I'm also going to read Ephesians chapter 6, a couple pages to your left, and this is what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children in anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, your word gives us instruction on your design, your blueprint for the family. Uh, as we've been going through the book of Colossians and those that have repented and been reconciled and trusted in your son Jesus, we are now united with Christ. We are brought into the family of God. And, and here is a distinction on how we should operate as families. We covered part one in Husbands and Wives last week, and today we look at uh, children and parents. Lord, as Paul just just asked for prayer for life of the innocent, Lord. Um, We sit in here in a comfortable place, and uh, our children are are blessed. They have parents that love them, that serve them. They have a a community uh, that operates in the gospel to come alongside one another, encourage one another, and support one another. And And we know that because of sin and living in the Genesis 3 world, and there's an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, uh, he he does that with families and children all over the world. And there's a lot of children out there that that need the covering of Christ, that need a good gospel community, that need saved, not only spiritually by your son Jesus, but also physically. And so, Lord, may we um, rally around uh, Paul and the life group and really make this uh, a priority on our list in the next couple of weeks. May we invite our neighbors, our friends, and as Paul says, may we, we get some good stuff that we've been blessed so we can you know, get rid of it and sell it and make a, a, a good profit for these children. We want to save more than two kids, Lord. So, Lord, we ask that you would uh, use this to, again, save children. And also for the conversations for those that will be here, Lord. Let your spirit move in our hearts. We do have the hope that lies within us, within your son, Jesus Christ, and his life, death, and resurrection. In all this we pray, amen. You guys, go ahead and have a seat. So Colossians 3, 20 and 21. Uh, how many of you guys have gone to a graduation party already this month? Raise your hand, right? Probably most of us. I think we, we uh, finished our last graduation party circuit up uh, last night with our friends. We actually killed two with one stone, which was nice. Celebrating two uh, graduates with one party, um, which was awesome. And I don't know about you, but I was just thinking, we, we graduated, uh, Nate, our third son, and we, and we had a little, little shindig, and I'm just sitting there just going like, wow. Because high school is kind of the time when you send them out, and you're just like, as a parent, you're like, 
you know, I hope I didn't jack them up, you know. I mean, it's like, holy cow, I, I, you know, I hope I point them to the Lord, but I know I, I didn't say this and I should have done that. And, and you get this overwhelming sense of like, oh, man, uh, Lord, he's yours. Do what you will with him, right? You know, and uh, but that's the good thing about the gospel. The gospel uh, and our identity in the gospel, my performance is not based on my parenting skills. My performance is not based on how my kids turn out. Sure, I'm praying for them and there's instructions for us to lead and guide and direct them, but my identity is in Christ. So that frees me up to say, at the end of the day, after the end of that thought, I was like, Lord, they're yours and you will use them for your glory and for their good. And in that I rest Parenting is one of the greatest joys, and yet it also can be one of the biggest struggles in our lives. And so I'm going to just start out on a very uh, even playing field for all of us that uh, have been parents or raised our kids and are out of the house. Maybe they've been out for a number of years or were in the midst of raising them. Or if you're single in here and you have a plan to get married and have kids, Lord, we want to put everyone on the same playing field that it's okay. Parenting is hard. It's a struggle. We're going to screw up. We're going to mess up. We're not going to be perfect. And again, that's where the gospel comes in. No one is perfect in parenting. Parenting is hard. It's a struggle. But it also has tremendous joy, tremendous hope, and tremendous fun. For those of us that have walked through uh, the elementary school, the middle school, the high schools, and now we're on to the next years beyond, we understand that PTA stands for Poor Tired Parent Association, right? Anyone else with me? And just as you think you get a handle on being a parent... They graduate and they're gone, right? Just as you think that you go, oh, I got this parenting thing figured out. Let's, let's talk. Well, where are they? They're, they're gone. They graduated. They're not around your house. And it was the same in Paul's day. The Colossian church, the, the parents in Colossae had the same struggles, the same highs, the same lows that we have today. Therefore, Paul addresses parents and gives us a couple principles regarding the blueprint of relationships, particularly The child-parent relationship. What should we do? He gives us some good general principles on how to raise our children. And also, children, there's some stuff in here for you. In fact, verse 20, we start out. It's children obey like Jesus. Children obey like Jesus. Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. In, In Ephesians, we heard, it is right. It is fitting. And at this point in here... Parents with kiddos right now sitting uh, in here. We know we have a number of them in the little classroom, so parents, you're going to have to teach this to your kids after uh, Sunday school. But at this point, a number of you parents are like, Aaron, that's it. You don't have to preach anymore. We can just actually close the Bible and go home right now because that's all needs to be said. Children, obey your parents. Right, parents? We don't need to expand on that, uh, but maybe we do just a little bit. Um, The word children here doesn't mean or doesn't have an age-specific in mind. It's not an age-specific category. It just means offspring. It just means children. It could be a male. It could be a female. It just means children. So really, in Paul's mind here, I think any child, his definition, any child that is dependent on their parents for life, for living, is, is, is Paul's definition of a child. If, if you have a child living under your roof and, you're de- and they're dependent on you, this is who Paul is addressing. So children, if you are living under your parents' roof, this command is for you. Obey your parents, right? My kids over here to the right. Here we go. And, he, and, and there's a blessing here. We see that the Lord uh, has a blessing for you. And one, it says the Lord will be pleased with you. 
He'll be pleased with you, children. He'll be happy with you. He'll be delighted with you. You will be a sweet aroma to the Lord. So that's number one. You will please the Lord. And secondly, Ephesians 6.1 says, uh, Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. That's the second blessing. That you may have a long and happy and blessed life. And it begins with you obeying your parents. So children, there's blessings in obedience. Obedience is not some drudgery. Uh, obedience is a, is a blessing. You, you please the Lord, and in that, he will bless you. So children, if you want to have a blessed, good, long life here on earth, it begins by obeying your parents. And the reason why there is blessing is because this is how the Lord has set up in his economy the relationships and the, the blessings and the obedience that comes from Obeying your parents. He set this up. This is how it should be. This is how he's designed relationships should be between the child and the parent. And when you obey your parents, he will bring you blessing. And the flip side is true of this. If you disobey your parents, it's going to be a hard life for you. When you step out underneath God's blueprint and design for your relationships uh, that have been built to protect you, to guide you, to, to grow you up, you will struggle. Remember last week I said this, bad things happen when we disobey, disregard, or reinterpret God's blueprint for his design for relationships, whether it's husband-wife or whether it's child-parent. But good things happen when you obey and walk in his design. And so that's what we're going to look at real quickly for you, Charis. Now, why the command for children to obey? I mean, anyone that's been around the crossing or a good Bible-believing church that talks about uh, the nature of sin, we understand that children need to be commanded to obey, and it's in the positive here, because naturally children don't obey, right? Naturally children what, parents? Dis- uh, disobey. You can say it with a little bit more uh, authority than that. They disobey. Uh, and not, not only children, but this is, this is true of every human being. You as well. We all battle this. We all battle our flesh because we sin. We're, we're sinners. That's why we sin. That's why we battle. That's why we don't obey. We naturally have this inclination of our own selfishness, that we want to rule our own kingdom. Um, when a child is born, a newborn, his, his or her heart, will, disposition is for selfishness and disobedience. You don't have to teach a child to disobey. You have to teach a child to obey. We all know this. Has, I mean, think about it. Has anyone in, in, ever in here had to teach their son or daughter or grandparents in here, your beautiful little grandchild, right? Um, have you ever had to teach them to sin? Anyone? Who's taught their child to sin in here? No. I mean, I mean no one in here says, son, you're, you're just too nice, Right? You don't bite any kids, right? You don't push any kids. You don't, uh, you know, uh, steal anyone's toys. You know, you don't go like John Zena off the top uh, 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 side of the playground slide on another kid that, that was playing with your toy that you were playing with two hours ago, right? And you just want it back. You, you, no, one, no one in here says, son, you, you just tell the truth all the time. Uh, today, we're, I'm going to teach you how to lie, Right? It's going to be awesome. No, you, you don't do that. Why? They naturally do that. Listen, we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. The Lord knits us all in our mother's womb. And if Adam and Eve didn't fall in, in, in the garden, then there would be no need for this command. But since they did, there is a need for this command. Because naturally children obey, don't obey because of their sin nature. And that's why we need the gospel. 
The gospel comes in. And Jesus obeyed perfectly in your place and my place and you as a child's place. And he lived the perfect life. And he died on the cross for your sin so that we may be forgiven. So children, obey your parents. Obedience, obey means here to listen and to follow through with action. To listen, hear your parents, hear their commands, hear their expectations, and then follow through with actions. And we see this throughout the Bible. We all go all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant with Genesis 26, where, where God says, I will multiply your offsprings as stars of the heavens, and will give your offsprings all these lands, and in your offsprings all the nations will be blessed. Because, Abraham, you have obeyed my voice, and you have kept my commandments. So obedience brings blessing. Blessing follows listening and obeying God's commands, whether you're a child or you're an adult. So children, this is for everyone, not just for you, but for adults in here as well. Now, there's several reasons why to obey. I've already given you a couple mentioned. One, it pleases the Lord. We all want to please the Lord. We all want to delight the Lord. We all want to be a sweet aroma to the Lord. Uh, You'll have a good long life in this world. Um, but also, you listen to your parents because they have been there and done that. Right, parents? You have been there and done that. You, you've been around the track once or twice more than your child. You, you know what the highs and lows, the dips, the valleys that are in life. You know what uh, disobedience and ignorance brings you, but you also know what obedience brings you. You also know yourself because you once, I once was a child. And when we follow and obey the Lord, we see the blessings in our lives. And when we step away and, and do not, we see that there comes justice and righteousness and, and discipline in our lives. So children, you listen to your parents because they've been there, done that. They've, they've walked in your steps already, and they can guide you through this world. Let me just give you two illustrations, one for older, like middle school, high school, the other for younger. Um, as you guys get older, parents, you'll see, and you have middle school, and in particular high school, one of the questions you will always hear inevitably is, why do I need a curfew, right? Why do I need a curfew? Why do I need to be home? I'm talking Santini's now. Why do I need to be home at 12 o'clock? Why can't I stay out till 1, 2 in the morning like all my other friends, right? Now, hear this, parents. Um, it's okay for your children to ask the why question. It's okay. I, I, I invite my kids to say, now, why do I need a curfew? And it's our job to give a good, clear explanation of why. And, and, and I give a good, clear explanation, which I will here in a second. But kids, once I, give, once, once I give you the clear explanation, there's no bartering. There's no yeah, but. No, it ends there, right? So, so parents, when your child asks why, give them a good explanation and then move on. So this is why our kids in particular have to be home at 12 o'clock in high school or by 12 o'clock. Because the highest number of drunk drivers is on the road between midnight and 3 a.m. The highest number of drunk drivers are on the road between midnight and 3 a.m. In 2009, from midnight to 3 a.m., two-thirds of the fatal crashes involved alcohol-impaired drivers. That's why they have to be in before 12. Because after that, it gets real dicey real quick. Fatal crashes are also four times higher at night than during the day. So when I give them those stats, they understand And therefore, they can submit because it's reasonable to them. Those of you with younger children, maybe elementary school, how do you explain this when you see disobedience? This is what you're going to get to to teach them. Here's a good illustration how you can teach them after the service day when you pick them up. Uh, Have you ever noticed that 
out of all the species that God has created, right, animals, fishes, you, you can go through it, that human children are the only ones that disobey their parents. Have you guys ever noticed that? Have you ever thought about that? Be like, hmm. You, you don't see antelopes on the plains of Africa, you know, adult animal antelopes and children antelopes. I don't know what you call antelopes, but for the sake of the illustration, you're, you're with me. But you don't see them when the pride of lions come on the land. You, you, you don't see the, the mom or dad say, all right, son, it's, it's, it's time to run, right? The lions have come on the scene. It's time for us to run. You don't see the child antelope go like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to run today, right? I think I'm just going to stay right here and just hang out and do my own thing, right? No, you don't see that. You don't see baby children antelope disobeying antelopes. When mom and dad run, everyone runs, right? Why? Because we know that there's thousands of years of, of lions capturing us and eating us, right? That's why you don't see them disobey. Uh, if you do, you, you'll become a YouTube sensation as the dumbest antelope who didn't listen to their parents, right? That's what happened to you. No, but you don't see that. You don't see that. So here's a perfect illustration for you parents to, to, to encourage your children to listen to you, to obey. Because if you don't, you'll end up like an antelope eaten by a lion, right? That's what you can tell your kiddos. So anyways, so children, obey your parents for it is right in the Lord. Second, fathers, this is where we're going to spend the most of our time. Fathers and parents, encourage your children like Jesus. Verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Uh, the word here, fathers, can mean uh, parents as well. It's a, it's a loose translation because sometimes the word uh, father here means natural ancestors or parents. So this is talking to parents. Sometimes, <clears throat> in particular in our culture, you, you have um, single-parent homes where something, unfortunately, has happened to the father, and maybe just the mom is, is there raising the child. This is a command for you, or maybe you're, you're raising your uh, nephew or your niece or your grandchild. This is uh, for you. But we also see that Paul maybe even zeroes in maybe on fathers because in the economy of the family, the father, the dad leads the family. And this is one way that you lead. We, we notice that um, in verse 20, it says, children obey your parents. A Greek word's a, a, a different word there for parents than used in verse 21. In verse 21, Paul singles out fathers. It's, it's pater, it's, it's, it's fathers. It's not the, the word used for parents in verse 20. So it's not parents don't provoke your children, it's, it's fathers. So I think he is zeroing in on fathers, although if you're a mom in here, this applies to you as well. But why single out fathers? Why single out fathers? Well, again, we are, as I just said, we, we are the primary responsibility uh, uh, leading the family is, is leading our children as fathers. In God's blueprint, the fathers lead and cultivate, cultivate not only our wives, but also our kids. In Roman culture during this time, if something went wrong with the family, if something went wrong with one of the kids, if they went out and were delinquent or got arrested or something, it was always the child's fault or the mom's fault. Never the father's fault. And so what Paul is doing is he is combating that foolish thinking and saying, no, he's, he's standing against the time of culture then and saying, no, fathers, you are responsible for your kiddos and their actions. It falls on you. We know that fathers have an incredible, incredible influence I've shared some of these statistics before, but let me just share them again to remind you men, fathers, dads, of your influence on your children. 
Uh, in suicide, 63% of youth that kill themselves are from fatherless homes. High school dropouts, 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 90% of homeless runaways are from fatherless homes. In prison, over 60 plus percent come from fatherless homes. That's just socially. When it comes to salvation, dads also have a tremendous influence. If there's a non-believing family and a mom comes to faith, 17% of the family comes to faith or follows mom. If there's a non-believing family and a a father, a dad comes to faith, 93% of the family comes to faith. Influence, men, dads, you have influence. We see this be true in Acts chapter 16 with the Philippian jailer, right? You guys remember the scene? Paul and them are in prison. Um, The Lord delivers them. The Philippian jailer's there. He's about to kill himself. Paul says, don't kill yourself. He goes home. They preach the gospel to him, and it says he and his whole household receive the Lord. Why? Because this man, this father, bent his knee in repentance. Father, you have an incredible influence over your children and your family. Hence the command. Notice also that the command to the wives of the children are mainly in the positive. Wives, submit to your husbands. That's a positive command. Children, obey your parents. That's a a positive command. But when it comes to the command of the men, they're negative. Except for husbands, love your wives. That's positive. But then it says, do not be harsh with them. Negative command. Fathers, do not provoke, exasperate your children. Negative command. Why is that? I think the reason why that is is because men typically, generally, have a more aggressive behavior. We have a more A-type personality than our wives. We are more intense. And Paul has to remind us that you don't always operate with your children at this intensity level, this peak intensity level, aggressiveness. Moms generally tend to have less aggressiveness and more nurturing personalities generally. Therefore, fathers, we need to be reminded to keep our, as I said, intensity in check. Uh, Sometimes there's a need for our intensity, uh, for our aggressiveness in parenting, in in love, and, you know, in the context of love, but not all the time. Um, and many of you, or not many of you, but some of you maybe had fathers that always were um, aggressive with you, intense with you, and you're still walking through the scars that that left on your soul. I, I see it when, when I sometimes lose my temper with my kids in, in the last uh, 21 years. And it says this, it says, if we, if we constantly exasperate, provoke our children, you will cause them to what? Lose heart. Lose heart. That's the, the, the New American Standard says. I like that translation uh, better than here. Here in, 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 in Colossians, it says that they will become discouraged. And the New American Standard says that they will lose heart. I've seen that happen. Uh, I've seen, I see my child when I'm in too intense with them, sinfully, that, 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 that their face, their emotions, their little heart is broken. And it breaks my heart. It's like, oh my gosh, what did I just do to them? And now imagine if I was like that every day of their lives, what that could do to a child. Fathers, do not provoke your children, exasperate them. Um, there are many other ways to provoke or exasperate your child, um, such as this, uh, endless comparisons. Uh, you're not like your brother, or you're not like your sister, or you're not like little Johnny across the street. You, you, you never can, can add up to, to them. Uh, overbearing or unrealistic expectations could, could provoke 
your child, exasperate them, cause them to lose heart. I see this in like extracurricular activities, sports, band, play, right? You know, you see overbearing parents, the expectations that are unrealistic, harsh punishment, uh, constantly put ups and put down criticism, never encouraging your kids, always browbeating them. Here's a big one, self-righteousness, fathers. Ne- never accepting blame, never confessing sin. Passive fathers, too busy for your kiddos. These are all ways in which all of us can exasperate our kids. There's a song, I, I think I've shared this with you guys before. There's a song in the 70s um, called Cats in the Cradle. Anyone familiar with that song, Cats in the Cradle? Some of you guys are, right? Um, by Harry Chapman. If not, it's a great song. You need to listen to it. But this, this song was like, I hear it's like, man, I don't want to be that dad. It, it goes something like this, that uh, the, the, the dad has a son and the son's growing up and, and the dad doesn't have enough time to, to go play catch with him. The little boy's like, hey, son, you know, I got a new glove, a new ball. Can we go play catch, dad? And he's like, no, not today, son. I, I don't have time. And he, and he goes away, and the son looks at his dad. He's like, well, one day I'm going to be like him. And then he goes through some other things, and the dad had never has time for him. And then all of a sudden the, the song flips, and now all of a sudden the dad wants to have time for the son, but the son's in college, and his, and his dad goes to the son, hey, son, let's go hang out today. He goes, no, thanks, dad. I would like, but I got my buddies. Can I just borrow the keys of the car? And then all of a sudden, you know, years go by and dad said, hey, son, why don't you come over? You know, let's, let's go hang out. Let's go do something together. And the son's like, sorry, dad, I'm too busy. And then the song ends. It's like, my son has grown up just like me. I, that scared me to death. I did not want to be that dad. So be involved. You, when you're too busy, when you're passive, you're going to provoke your child. You're going to dishearten them. You're going to discourage them. You're going to cause them to lose heart. And I know, I know your guys' hearts in here. You don't want to do that. So these are ways. Now, that was all negative. You're like, oh man, I feel the weight. And again, all of us parents, we should feel the weight. And fathers and, and mothers, because we like, we hear those things. You're like, oh, that's me. You just, you just ripped off 10 things. That's me. We get that, right? Again, that's where we opened up, where our identity's not in parenting, but it's in the gospel. So how can we obey this command with some positive applications, right? How can we obey this plan and not discourage our kids, but build them up, encourage them so that they will go out? And Ephesians 6, 4 gives us a little bit more detail on how to do this, on how to instruct them. And again, it's general um, in their principles. It doesn't get real specific, and I love that, don't you? Because each of our families are different. Each of our personalities are different. Each of our kids are different. Therefore, God says, hey, here are some foundational principles in which every family should exercise and implement as parents, as fathers, as parents, we should implement it in our child, but we get the opportunity to uh, uh, implement those according to their characteristics, their personalities, their temperaments, and ours as well. But again, these should be here. Again, it says in, in Ephesians 6, 4, that fathers do not provoke your children, but here are the, uh, the things, but bring them up in discipline and instruction. Those are the two categories. Bring them up in discipline and in instruction. But before, notice that phrase, bring them up. You know what that phrase, brings them up, means? It means to nourish them. It means to um, feed them so they grow strong. It means to cultivate them. Cultivate their little hearts. Feed their little hearts. Nourish their little souls so that they grow up to maturity. Does that sound familiar? If you're here last week, you see that's the exact same thing, how husbands are called to love their wives. 
We are to do the same thing with our children, to cultivate them, to nourish them, to grow them up, to nourish them and cultivate them. In discipline, discipline probably means like we, we want to grow them, mature them, nourish them in, in the things of everyday life. How to live in that, in that crazy world out there. You might say behavior. We're to dis- discipline their behavior. And then you have instruction is, is more spiritual. It's, it's leading their little hearts and their little souls to Christ. It's, it's, it's growing their belief, their, their faith. So discipline would be like growing their behavior and, and, and living every day with living skills in the world. And belief would be uh, instructions and, and pointing their little hearts to Jesus. And here's the thing. Our goal is as fathers, our goal as parents. It's not to control behavior. It's not our goal. We don't want to control behavior. We don't want to control our children, but we want to develop them. That's a good little saying to write on your wall. Don't control my child, but develop my child. You see, because our children will disobey. Our children will turn their backs and run for seasons, some shorter, some longer. And this is, this is the principle, a principle I want us to grasp, and, I, and, I, and I'm speaking to myself as well. You always want to be the parent that has that door open when your kid runs away. Think about the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son gets his inheritance, runs it off, squanders it. And it says there, and I think it's in Luke 16, it says there, when the son came to his senses, what does he say to himself? He says, I will arise and go back to my father. Why? Because his father didn't exasperate his son growing him up. Were there rules? Were there commands? Yes. But in that, the father always loved his son, served his son. So when his son came to his senses, he said, I will arise and go back to my father. I was like, Lord, that is my prayer. If my kids ever rebel, I want them to know that when they come to their senses, that they have a home to come back to, a loving home. So that's the goal, not to control our children, but to, to develop them, to develop them. So this is what it looks like in general, not to provoke, exasperate, anger, or discourage your kids, but in, engaging our kids and cultivating our kids and nourish them in the Lord. That's the object. We want to point them to the Lord. That's the goal of parenting is to nourish them and cherish them, dis, dis, uh, discipline them, instruct them to the Lord, to his gospel, to his word. Uh, discipline here, when we usually think of discipline, we probably think of punishment, right? Of, of, of spanking, of correction. And that's a part of what Paul is saying here, but it's much broader and deeper than that. It's much broader than deeper. Discipline is this. It's the complete or whole training and education of our kids. It's the complete whole and training and educating our kids. The cultivation of mind and morals that also includes the training of care of the body as well. First Timothy 4, 7 says, train or discipline yourself for godliness. So it has the idea of effort, of knowledge, of, of saying yes to this and, and no to that. It's a, it's a whole complex training and education system. It's more than just discipline. 
So again, our roles as fathers, as roles as parents, are to develop our children in the ways of Christ and the gospel. Just like a teacher trains her students, just like a coach coaches his players, just like a manager trains their employees. So let's just kind of just look and give you some broad things on how, in, in our lives, I'll give you some examples of what this discipline and this instruction looks like in, in our lives. And again, you guys are going to have stories as well. These are just examples of how it is, but I think these attributes or characteristics should be a part of all of our training, how we implement them will be up to you. The first is this. If we want to not provoke our kids, we need to be consistent with our kids. Drew Collins and I were having a conversation after uh, we worked out in the gym the other day, and he's like, all right, give it to me. You know, we were talking about graduation, and we have five kids. He's like, what's the secret sauce, right? I'm like, I don't know what the secret sauce is. You know, Chick-fil-A has some good secret sauce, but other than that, I don't know what it is. But I said, one thing thing that I've seen over the years in ministry and with my own kids is that we're consistent. When, when, when parents, when fathers are consistent, you will see your, cher- your children flourish. When there's order in the home, when uh, consistency builds confidence, uh, con- consistency builds security and peace at, uh, in a child's heart. Um, and we know this to be true. Malachi says this, I am the Lord and I do not change. Hebrews 13 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we see that consistency is part of Scripture. It brings peace and security to our own hearts as, Christ, uh, as Christians because we know that Christ is not going to change his mind or, or do a, you know, some loop and say, oh, I'm going to do this, but no, I didn't really mean to do that. I'm going to do this other thing. No, he, he does what he says he's going to do. And when we as parents are consistent with our kids, when they understand our expectations, when they understand our commands, when they understand the intentions, when they understand if they break it, this is the, the, the judgment that you get or the punishment that you get or the instruction that you get. Or if you, if you keep it, this is the blessing that you get. When, when things are in order of their lives, they can operate with confidence. Makes, it makes them obeying us easier. It brings them security and peace. If there's a constant flux and inconsistency in our expectations, in our rules, in our commands, in the way we handle things, um, they're going to walk on eggshells. They're going to walk in fear. They're not going to try new things because they're afraid of, of, of stepping out of line and getting in trouble. Or they're just going to go do their things their own way because whatever you say doesn't matter because you're constantly changing your mind. So that's a way in which we can uh, build our kids up, encourage our kids is through consistency. I mean, who doesn't like consistency in here? We all like consistency in here, don't we? I mean, there's a reason why we all have our favorite restaurants. We all have our favorite restaurants or coffee shops. Why? Because of the consistency of the good food they have or the great coffee that they make. When we go to doctors or dentists or mechanics or our bankers, we, we go to those places because of the consistency in which they offer. We know if, what we're going to get, and it's going to be good. Here's a simple illustration that, that, that I've tried to use in my consistency of, of training up my, my kids in, um, in this discipline on how to live, you know, how to live is usually in elementary school and middle school, if I get to drop them off to school, um, I'll, I'll take them and, and we get into the, you know, the school line. And, um, and usually right as we're getting ready to drop them off, I, I say, you know, I kind of play a little game with them. I, I want them to understand that they're there to learn, but they're also there to be on mission for Jesus to lead and to love those and their, their little classmates for, for Jesus. And so like, all right, kids, you know, I'm making this little, like, ejection is about to happen in three, two, one, right? Get ready, get ready, kids. And, and my final command, right before I hit the, the unlock button and the lock, locks go up and I say, eject, 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 you know, it's like, hey, love Jesus today and be a leader out there. And last thing, daddy loves you. Those, those are the last things that they hear when, they, when I hit the eject button, Right. 
And, you know, in elementary school, it's cool. They get it, you know. In junior high, I still do that with Maddie. She just, she just graduated from eighth grade, and I did that the last time, and she's, like, looking at me, shaking her head, and, you know. But there's a little smirk, but there's a little smirk because I'm engaging her, you know. And I hit the eject button, and she jumps out of the, the car, and, and, you know, and then she gets in line. And I've done that since, I don't know how many years, 10, 12, 13 years I've been, I've been doing that. And again, it's just a simple way to build some consistency. Say, hey, I want you guys to impact your campus for Jesus and know that daddy loves you. The other reason why I do it, because I want to be that dad that holds up that line for 20 minutes in the, in the, in the school parking lot, right? I, I can't stand those guys. It's, there, there's road rage in, I mean, who's with me right now? Come on, you know, you know who that person that parks there and sits there for 12 minutes? You're like, no, this is the drop-off line. It's not the sit and park line. Anyways, all right. That happens after my children leave, then I lose it, okay? That's how that works. All right. So consistency. Consistency is something. Here's, here's the second thing um, when you're disciplined or trained up to live is, is cultivate child-specific nourishment. Um, don't treat every child, if you have more than one, the same. Now, there's going to be some, some principles that, that are going to be the same, right? I mean, I'm going to train up my, uh, my sons and my daughters regardless of their age. Uh, there's some things I want them to know. I'm going to, I'm going to obviously train them all of, hey, you don't put your finger in a, in a light socket, right? You don't play with sharp objects, right? You don't run out in the street. I mean, you, you get those. You, you don't lie. You don't hit unless it's just, right? You, yeah. Yeah, good. All right. Um, <laughs> hey, that's biblical. All right, here we go. Um, Right, but uh, I have five kids, and, and they all have very sim- they have some similarities, right? Because they're Santinis, uh, but they also have some very some some differences from one another. So, therefore, you you parent each child on who they are individually. Um, and here, consistency doesn't mean uniformity as well. Going back to our last point, and especially especially when it comes to gender uh, between uh, my boys and my girls. We parent them differently. Um, I have a multitude of illustrations of this. Um, what is one word that distinguishes boys and girls? Drama. All right. Now, I had this one illustration already set that I was going to use between Taylor and JT. And I was, as we were walking um, out from a graduation party, I told Taylor, I was, I'm going to use you as an illustration tomorrow. And she goes, oh, great. You know, that's good. She goes, well, which, which one is it? And I said, well, we're talking about how, I, you know, how we parent you and you know, kids differently. Boys go, oh, that story about me and JT? Yeah, that story about you and JT. Well, I'm not going to share that story about her and JT. I'm going to share a story about Maddie and Taylor yesterday because it was just happened. So this is how you train them up differently, boys and girls. Again, that's the, that's the, that's the idea, the big idea. Yesterday, we're getting ready to go to a graduation party. And we had to go get cards, right? Well, before that, we didn't have a card, so we're going to send Taylor to go get graduation cards. Well... Maddie was wearing Taylor's shoes, right? And so Taylor wanted to wear those shoes to go to get the card. And Maddie's like, no, I'm wearing your shoes. You go get another one of your 20 pairs that you have upstairs to go do that. And I walk into this, and they're arguing for like 20 minutes. It's like World War II going on in my kitchen. And I come down there going, what is going on? Maddie won't give me my shoes. Okay. <laughs> You know, and I'm going, Maddie, give her her shoes. It's that simple. No, she has other shoes she can go wear. I'm wearing her shoes. I'm like, wait a second. All right, here's the difference. Boys don't share shoes, all right? 
<laughs> Am I right? Boys don't share shoes. If my boys had this problem, I'd just take the shoes off and go throw them in the trash, and it would be done. But I can't do that with my girls. So I'm like, Maddie, give Taylor back her shoes. Did you, right? You gave her back her shoes? And then Maddie's like, I don't want to give her back her shoes. I was like, okay, time out. Now, now the, the, the why question has become a debate, and we don't debate, right? So anyways, but, but, but that shows you we, we parent differently, right? According to our kid, according to our genetics, that's, that's a silly one, but cultivate children-specific nourishments, disciplines, in particular if you have more than one. Now, there's many more how-tos. Those are just two, consistency in those. We could, we could talk about age-appropriate discipline right? We could talk about our motives of, of love and, and, ang- and not in anger, of grace and truth, or having fun, using humor to train up our kids. Uh, be flexible. Be flexible. Things aren't going to go always according to plan, so be flexible as parents. Uh, empower your children. Encourage them to, to try it out first and let them fail, but then also then build them back up to try again. You, be creative, in how you parent. Uh, experiential learning is awesome. Take them out in creation and just, and just enjoy and train and give life lessons as you are on the way of life. So those are just some ways in which we discipline our children. Now what about instruction real quickly? Instruction in the Lord. We want to focus on uh, uh, creating their little souls cultivately, spiritually to love Jesus. And we want them to understand the gospel and the scriptures. And Paul says, of course, this is of first importance, right? The gospel and knowing what the gospel is. And not just intellectually, but also experientially. I want our kids, I want my kids, I know you want your kids, if there's anything you want them to know, you want them to know Jesus. You want them to know the gospel. You want them to be saved. You want them to say, this is God's word and this is what I'm going to build my life on. Because when I do that, there's blessing. We all want that. You want your children to understand and grow in the gospel. Do you know the best way to do that is? Is through and pursuing a healthy marriage. That's, that's the best way that your kids are going to be instructed in the Lord when they're young, is that they see the gospel and gospel principles lived out in the husband-wife relationship. Ephesians 5 says this, is that the, the two become one flesh. And what's the purpose of that? It is to describe the mystery of Christ and his church. So the husband-wife relationship, your marriage is going to be the best illustration on earth of what it looks like and how Christ interacts with his church. So the best way that we can instruct, this is as parents, the best way we can instruct our kids in the Lord is to have a healthy marriage. Not a perfect marriage, but we want to pursue marriage according to Scripture. And when we do that, our kids will put the two together. Oh, mom and dad love each other. Oh, uh, oh, this is what sacrificial love looks like. Oh, this is what humility looks like. Oh, this is what repentance and confession of sin looks like. And this is what it looks like when forgiveness is extended. Oh, this is what is produced in a marriage, joy and, and happiness, whether we're in good times or bad times. Oh, this is what it looks like for us to, to serve as Christ. Oh, this is, this is what it looks like for us to be dependent on Christ. Kids are watching your marriage. And your marriage is the greatest testimony to Christ and his relationship to your church or to his church. Your marriage teaches your kids. It instructs them. It nourishes them. It trains them up where they put two and two together. Oh, mom and dad love each other. 
They like each other. Oh, Jesus loves his church. And this is what it looks like. And so when you start talking to them about Christ, when you start talking to them about the characteristics of Christ, they've already experienced it. Because they've seen it in your marriage. Again, not perfectly, but that is what's going to point and grow your children. And one of the best places to instruct your kiddos is around the dinner table. I think I've shared this a number of times, but especially when you're younger. We're, we're at the age now in our family where, uh, you know, our kids are, you know, graduated, they're older, they have their, really their own lives now, so it's tough to get the family together for dinner. Now we just have our little family, right? It's usually uh, Rita, myself, and, and Maddie, and Stephen, and, and that's our little family now. The other three are kind of off and doing their own, own thing. Sometimes Nate's around a little bit more, but... And it agrees me because the best times, some of the best times as a family, some of the best times that we get to instruct our kids in the Lord is when we all sat down for dinner together. We made that a priority. So you that have younger kids, you make that a priority right now because this is where instruction happens is around the training table, the training table. Now, there's so many different ways the, to instruct your children around the table. One is prayer, obviously, right? We, we, we thank the Lord for our food. Um, and then also, there's another thing that we, we did. We picked it up from Steve Watnick, actually. Um, when we went to their house a number of years ago, um, they had their Christmas cards. You guys all, we all get Christmas cards of other families, right, of other families. They want to send you their cards, see how you look. You're like, awesome. You, you notice in our house, we, we keep those up all year round. You're like, why do you still have Christmas cards up? It's June. It's like, well, there's a reason why. Because sometimes what we do, and we learn this from the Watnicks, is, is in our prayer time, we would just take that, we take the families on our Christmas cards and just pray for them at the table. That's, a, that's an easy way to train up your kids and to, to pray for others, to instruct them in the Lord. Huh? The Jesus storybook, you know, after dinner. Some of you with younger kids, get out the, the Jesus storybook. If you haven't got that, that's a great little book. We give that to, um, to the parents that just dedicate their children. We give them this book because it's a great book that talks about the gospel. And it's colorful. It has little stories. and There's some short stories. You can just read those to your kids around the table. Um, the Bible Project. You know, show a video after dinner and show a little short video. They have great, great things on books of the Bible on, on certain attributes of God and, and, and certain topics. They're short. They're sweet. They, they increase dialogue. Um, just a Bible devotional, men. When's the last time you just opened up your Bible and you gave a devotional to your family at the dinner table? These are simple ways in which we can instruct our families, instruct our kids, Encourage them, engage them, nourish them, pour into them. See, the point is, is just to take advantage when you have a captive audience. And it doesn't have to be long. It could be short, three to five minutes. But you bring Jesus to the table. You bring the Bible to the table. You instruct their little souls. Or just do this. Ask them a question. Hey, how's it going? What's going on? And then just let the Holy Spirit move and create the conversation. These are ways in which we can instruct our children in the Lord, and, 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 and they'll be encouraged, not discouraged. Let me just end with this, a Harvard study. Um, it was done in the 1990s, which is like almost 20, 30 years ago. It's over 20 plus years ago. Like, Holy cow, that just seems like yesterday. But anyways, um, it was about kids becoming solid, healthy adults and not delinquents, right? And these are the four categories that they came with. Again, again Harvard study. Number one, a father's firm... Fair and consistent discipline. I found this after I wrote the sermon. A father's firm, fair, and consistent discipline. Number two, 
a mother's supervision and companionship. Number three, parents' love and affection for one another. And number four, family spending time together as a family. I found this after I wrote the sermon. It's like, wow, that's shocking, but it's not shocking. Why? Because those are the truisms of the Bible. If we implement these principles, God's design in the parent-child relationship, we will see our kids flourish. We will see our kids flourish. Let's pray.